Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Chances are good that is a familiar sound. Those would be Corvus brachyrhynchus, a.k.a. crows, our often unwanted urban neighbors. Crows are thought to be loud, pesky, aggressive, even sinister. And they're the subject of a question we got from San Mateo listener Kevin Branch. There are so many crows around nowadays. Are they pushing out the old normal birds that I grew up with, the, the blue jays, the mockingbirds, the red-winged blackbirds, the birds I used to grow up listening to when I woke up in the morning. I'm Olivia Allen Price. You're listening to the Bay Curious Podcast. Today, we're bringing back an episode that we first aired in 2019 about the rise of the crow. We'll answer Kevin's question and explain why crows have lots of fans, too. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. Okay, so Kevin has a few questions for us. Are there more crows? Are they pushing out other birds? And is there a plan to reduce their populations? We asked KQED's Dan Brecky, who has a fascination with just about everything, including the natural world, to take a stab at answering them. So, Dan, what have you got for us? So let's just say Kevin is not imagining things. I visited him at work. He works for a theatrical rigging company down in Redwood City. He says it's the same thing every day. Crows. Lots and lots of crows. I see them in the morning. I see them in the afternoon. I see them up in trees. I see them on the ground. I see them on top of buildings. In you know, they're everywhere. I kind of feel like the crow has taken over big time. And, you know, to establish his cred, we asked Kevin to do a caw himself, and he does a pretty good one. Caw! Caw! There you go. Kevin's right. We're seeing a lot more crows these days. I spoke with Bob Lewis, who helps run the Golden Gate Audubon Society's annual Christmas bird count. 
I just took a look at the count today, and starting with 2,000, there were 167 crows in, in our circle. So that circle he's talking about covers Oakland and a large part of the East Bay shoreline and hills. And the Christmas bird count involves about 300 people coming out just for that one count in that East Bay area to count all the birds they can of whatever species in 24 hours. And it's the biggest count in the U.S. It's actually the biggest count in the world. So as Bob told us, we started with 167 crows in the year 2000. In 2002, there were 250. So it went up significantly. In 2005, there were 400. At 2010, there was over 1,000. Uh, 2015, almost 1,500. And then there were 2,500 crows, a number that held steady for several years. But last year's Oakland Christmas bird count showed a big spike to 4,400. That's 25 times as many as just two decades ago. Now, not everywhere in the Bay Area has seen that kind of increase. For instance, South Bay crow populations have fallen in the Christmas bird count over the last decade, apparently because of a spike in West Nile virus. But John Marsluff, a University of Washington wildlife biologist, says the pattern of increasing crow populations is a really familiar one. That's a common trend for a lot of corvids across the western U.S., for sure. That word he said is corvids. That's a family of birds that includes crows and ravens, the crows' bigger cousins. And that's another species whose numbers have grown dramatically in recent years. Okay, so we clearly have more crows, at least in most parts of the Bay Area. Kevin also wanted to know why. So the people who watch the birds say there's an equation with two major parts here. The first part has to do with where crows are not very welcome. Here's Bob Lewis again. Crows historically have uh, inhabited the countryside. Uh, the farmers put up uh, scarecrows and uh, crows eat corn. But in the countryside, crows get shot too. And uh, crows have perhaps discovered that in the cities and towns, it's a much safer place to be. That sound from one of the many, many, many crow hunt videos you can find online. Listening to that, you can't really blame crows for feeling like they're not welcome out in the country. A hundred years ago, a company in the ammunition industry launched a national crow shoot, ostensibly to get rid of a threat to crops and other birds. And this wasn't just something that was happening out in the country. San Francisco's Golden Gate Park employed a hunter, usually a city cop, to shoot crows and other unwanted animals like jays and coyotes. Ooh, you, oh hit him, you hit him, you hit him, that one. And here in California, crows are fair game in most rural areas from December 1st to the beginning of April. In 2015, California hunters reported killing about 35,000 crows. Nice, there you go. But unfriendly humans are just one factor that has led to more crows becoming city dwellers. I mean, I think it's kind of simple myself. It's basically we provided more food for them. Now, the reasons for that might be more complex uh, because it includes things like garbage, like fast food restaurant waste, like road kills. You know, so there's a lot of ways we provide them food. But um, that's the bottom line. That's why they're more abundant. 
But haven't we city dwellers always been pretty messy? I mean, just think about those, you know, open garbage dumps that they used to have on the edge of every big city. If garbage was attracting crows, why wasn't it that way before? I asked John Marsliff that exact question, and he came up with an interesting response. It has to do with really looking at how we settle our cities. You don't have to have a dump. I mean, I think actually in terms of territoriality and increasing the breeding population, it's better to have food more uniformly distributed. Our urbanized area is much, much larger than it used to be. And we're providing rich, dependable sources of food from lawns to leftovers. More food allows crow populations to become more dense. They only defend enough space that's necessary to get enough food to raise their uh, young and and survive. So as more food's available, they can live in tighter and tighter uh, quarters, and you can fit more of them into the place. So now we know that we do have more crows, and we have a few ideas about why. Next question, are they killing other species of birds, like those songbirds that Kevin remembers? Well, one of the crow people I talked to is named Kaylee Swift. She's a really interesting wildlife scientist who has done lots of research on crows. And she says that there are limited circumstances where, usually because of things we do to make an area attractive to crows, crows can be pretty hard on endangered species. But your standard suburban backyard in L.A. or Seattle or New York or, you know, anywhere else in the country, not so much. Most people that contact me feeling like the crows wiped away all of the birds in their neighborhood, the science just does not back that up. So research does not show that crows are remorseless killers. And if there are, in fact, fewer songbirds than when Kevin grew up, it could be for many reasons. Loss of habitat, predators like squirrels, and even our domestic cats. So it sounds like crows have kind of gotten a bad rap. And when you talk to a researcher like Kaylee Swift, she comes back at you with a long list of the birds' winning qualities their ability to learn our faces and be pretty excited when they see us if you've built up a relation a positive relationship with them by feeding them for example these birds are smart they're inventive they use tools they play so you can watch them play games particularly the young birds there are videos online of them playing in the snow for instance they're just kind of charismatic and goofy in the way like a dog with a really strong personality is they raise their young and are very, very loyal and attached to their young. You watch them, you just see them do these things that are so interesting that you just, you kind of can't help but like fall in love with them. Dan, they sound like humans. Yeah, they do sound like humans. And Kaylee Swift says that actually could be the source of some of our problems with them. We may see a little bit too much of us in them. They're clever, so they're, they're able to outsmart some of the ways that we might be trying to keep them out of our garbage or out of our property. I keep coming back to this thing John Marsleff said when I asked him, well, what do we do about crows? And he said, it's important to remember that crows are sentient beings like us and that we ought to learn to use our big human brains to discover and address the problems we have with a growing crow population. If we need to control them in places, We need to think hard about it. Like they think about how to live with us, we need to think about how to live with them and come up with strategies that will have meaningful effects on their population, not just kill a bunch of them. He's talking about things like being really serious about managing our garbage and even doing things like being very careful to get rid of roadkill as soon as we see it, because that's a dinner for a crow. 
But mostly it sounds like we just need to learn to coexist with crows and maybe even see the good in them. You know, that's exactly what I think, too, after doing this research. Crows actually have had a long-term relationship with people that has showed up, for instance, in Native American mythology. And crows are an inspiration for artists, particularly poets. We found a book called A Bird Black as the Sun, which is just poems by California poets about these crows and what they say about this world around us. And beyond all that, I'm not sure we really have a choice but to learn to coexist. I love that there's a poetry book of crows. Do you want to listen to one of those on the way out? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, great. But first, thank you, reporter Dan Brecky, for all your reporting this week. You're welcome. And also a big thanks to our question asker, Kevin Branch. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. This episode was produced by Amanda Font, Christopher Beal, Katie McMurrin, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Special thanks this week to Pauline Bartoloni. Be sure to hang around for our monthly trivia contest at the end of this episode. You could win a super sweet Bay Curious and Sierra Nevada Brewing Company prize pack. But first, that poem we promised you. Early Morning Crow by Jim Natel. Crows have no shame. They caw at 6 a.m., expect a response from the windows reflecting overcast skies, wait for an echo to return across the canyon, for the bottle to wash up on shore, the telephone to ring, the empty half of the bed to fill. You cannot throw a boot at them like sex-struck cartoon cats yowling backlit by the moon, cannot shoo them like pie-faced pasture cows ruminating with the intensity of low-watt bulbs. The crows wake you too early, and there you are, an overdue bill, overripe melon, alone with your thoughts sluicing back through the gates you had to lower by hand the night before, cranking rusty cogs and wheels so you could get some sleep. The bed floods and you rise, afloat with black wings spread like oil upon the surface, a near fatality the cold almost got, wet through and hearing a solitary crow that croaks, Is anybody there? Is anybody there? Then flies away before you can form a suitable answer. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. 
visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.